Thanks for joining us for this second ever episode of the Holtcast from the Holt.uk. On this week's episode, we're going to be talking about the UK government's decision to remove Huawei technology from its 5G infrastructure. I recorded my thoughts on, on that decision not shortly after it was announced. Um, so I, I a little bit has sort of happened since then, so it'd be worth bearing that in mind while listening to, to my thoughts, and obviously there'll, there'll be more to come on that. I might try and do a, a full write-up of the decision, the consequences, the context, the background, um, but I've provided a quick introduction to, for those who aren't familiar with it, um, to the decision and, and the, what's been happening um, this week. Then, in the second half of the show, we're talking about Google's latest Stadia Connect event, what they've announced, what they haven't announced, what the future looks like for Stadia, um, and a little again, a little bit of an introduction to the service if you're not familiar with it. So, I hope you enjoy it. Um, if you do have any questions that you want to ask or, or have talked about on the show, send them to joshua at theholt.uk. I uh, really appreciate any feedback, any questions, anything you want to know or, or, as I say, have talked about on the show. So, sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Okay, so I want to talk about Huawei, and I want to talk about the Chinese government, I want to talk about the UK government, and I want to talk about 5G, and the intersection between those various things. The On Tuesday, the UK's Culture Secretary announced that by 2027, no Huawei technology should be present in the UK's 5G network. Now, we'll start at the beginning with this. So what is what is 5G? So 5G is the next generation of data coverage um, in the UK for mo- pr- pr- predominantly for mobile phones, but but the the speed and um, low latency nature of 5G means that actually this new era of, of network coverage from, from 5G providers could actually replace traditional uh, wired internet. What we've, we've become used to now is the fibre broadband um, delivering high speeds to, to houses and to um, places of work. So that's the, the promise of 5G is, is a vast increase in speeds but delivered over the air as opposed to through a cable and the advantages of that should be fairly obvious. Some people consider it to be the precursor to an era of things like driverless cars because you can have inf- the kind of information required for true um, driverless cars shared in real time with ultra low latency and latency is the time it takes between information being pushed to a source and, and then being returned back to that that. Um, destination which obviously when you're driving a car you want that time um, of information feedback to be as as quick as possible um, and that that will be crucial for for things like driverless cars it, it it's not a guarantee we don't know for a fact that that's what will will be the 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 true start of that of that era but but it, it it makes sense so you have a high speed low latency data network that's pushed over the air which is far easier to implement than um, than cabling, which you have to you have to dig up the ground or find ways into buildings to use it. Um, the only problem seems to be that 
some members of the UK population have taken it on themselves to start setting fire to 5G towers, which is a little um, disappointing, let's put it that way. Um, or in other words, it's absolutely mental. But hey, that's what they did, because they already was giving everyone coronavirus, but not to worry. So the important thing to focus on is why why do we keep hearing about Huawei? Why do we keep hearing about the Chinese government and its relationship with Huawei and what that means for the UK's security? And why, is the, why is the UK government so concerned about it? So let's start with this idea that Huawei and the Chinese government are, are in cahoots. Now, there isn't a shred of evidence to suggest there has never been a proven link between Huawei and the Chinese government, that they are somehow acting as a kind of a soft power arm of diplomacy on behalf of the Chinese government, that, that Huawei go around the world. Um, the, the conspiracy theory being that they, they kind of embed themselves in countries' digital infrastructure or internet infrastructure and become, and that's the, that's the fear, is that once you have this, almost this agent of the Chinese government helping to lay your, your infrastructure, you, you are compromised by definition because, in theory, any information that flows through that infrastructure, whether it be personal private information about um, the, the population of the United Kingdom or organisational data and even potentially government data passing through a Chinese system. Now, if you're already thinking that that sounds a little bit silly, then you you should probably listen to that instinct because it is the sort of paranoia um, that sort of whiffs of sort of vaguely racist anti-internationalism um, kind of sentiment that we've become used to, especially in this country. But there are reasons to be cautious. There are always reasons to be cautious when implementing any infrastructure through foreign direct investment. Chinese government has been extremely aggressive in its approach to to providing the world's 5G infrastructure and it's not just infra, not just digital infrastructure in the UK but it's it's more basic infrastructure in, in parts of Africa we've seen a real um, increase in the amount of foreign direct investment on behalf of China um, all around the world as it as it cements its place as a true global economic superpower so it isn't surprising it's the sort of tactics that the UK and, and other Western countries have used for for decades but where does where does this tie the idea that there are there are Chinese that, that Huawei specifically is a Chinese um, government agent out you know doing nefarious things on behalf of the Chinese government? There is there is some evidence that suggests a link, but it's it's the sort of links that that if you were to look into Western companies and organisations, you'd see exactly the same kinds of ties. In fact, you'd see probably far more. Um, much cosier arrangements than than Huawei and and the Chinese government. The the, the TechCrunch had a, a story that, and this was back in two thousand and nineteen, that there was about seventy five billion dollars worth of state aid available to Huawei to to turn it into a truly global leading technology superpower. Um, it is. That is obviously a huge amount of money, and the idea being that the, the Chinese government are funding a, a, a private business um, so that they could compete with the likes of Apple and, and Samsung in, in Korea. There's, as I say, this this funding of government, you know, public contracts, these sorts of things are, are fairly common, but 
that is, that is a huge amount of money. So it's difficult. Where do you draw the line between, okay, you are simply, um, you are directly funding a, a company on purpose. It would be like the American give, government giving the equivalent amount of money to Apple. And then Apple taking that money and using it to, to um, invest and divest in, in other countries around the world. Oh wait, that's exactly what happens through tax cuts, but let's not worry about that. So, and that, that, that point sort of highlights the, um, there's a hypocrisy to this, um, as, there, as there always is when talking about Western governments. We could both acknowledge the hypocrisy and then have to move on immediately because well, otherwise we just spend all our days talking about how much of a hypocrite um, various administrations in American politics have been, um, indeed Western Europe. So the the problem that Huawei has specifically, um, it's it's funny. Huawei has a has a, a page on its website that simply says, "What is Huawei's relationship with the Chinese government?" And their explanation is, "Huawei is a private company owned solely by our employees. No third parties hold any shares in the company, and that includes the Chinese government. We are a global company that works openly and transparently with governments of 170 countries where we do business. We have commercial agreements in place with these governments, and that includes China. We sell civil communication products to the Chinese government, and that is the extent of the relationship." I, I sort of love that because, one, it's obviously extremely clear and transparent, acknowledging this, this. Um, what's the word? It, 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 obviously, this this idea that permeates and and they can't get rid of this idea that um, they're they're somehow the Chinese, you know, the right arm of the Chinese government. So they've laid it out as clearly as they possibly can to say we're simply not. This is an, the Huawei also have a Huawei fax Twitter, which is where they just address various allegations of of you know, associations or, or what have you about their relationship with China or their own government, where they just have to constantly say like, no, we don't do anything stupid. Now, obviously we're not just gonna take them at their word, but then do we have to then, you do some digging, you try and find out, well, why, where does this idea come from? And every single time you see the, the assertion or the insistence that the US is saying that Huawei could, their technology could be used by the Chinese government for spying or hacking or however you want to look at it as a, as a security risk, as a, as a vector of attack or a potentially compromised system. And there's no actual evidence for this whatsoever. And obviously, and that is not to say that, that Beijing doesn't engage in Spying, of course it does. They routinely catch um, true agents of the Chinese government um, spying on on people around the world, as as routinely American agents are and British agents are, and all the rest of it. This is just something that goes on all the time. It's it's an everyday occurrence. Yes, countries are spying on each other, but what is what is not helpful, and what doesn't improve or or what we can do without is this, as I say, this vaguely sort of racist idea that China is a nefarious people who who have it's kind of, it's all very Cold War. It's all very similar to the kind of sentiment that you would have. It's us and them. It's the same old stuff. It's it's and it's tedious because back then, you know, back in the the seventies and eighties during the height of the Cold War, 
you could make the argument that people just didn't know any better. They were relying wholly on the information that the governments were um, supplying to them. And they were saying, trust us, the Russians are bad. And people didn't have a huge amount of choice. You know, it was always the academics, it was the intellectuals that were saying, well, why, why, what problem have we got with Russia? I don't understand where this, this um, animosity comes from. Because they actually had access to a bit of context, a bit of perspective and a bit of history. Whereas your average person in the West was, would probably go along with what they were being told because they trusted the government. These days we live in a very different world where we don't have to rely entirely on what the government tells us. We actually have, a, we can do what we like um, and, and we have access to all of the information that we might need to make our own decision about it. And as far as I can tell, there is absolutely no evidence that suggests that there is a direct link between Huawei and the Chinese government. And in fact, that people should be far more concerned about spying by Western organisations and, and governments than they should be about China. But the problem is, this this anti-Chinese sentiment permeates and it's it's pervasive and it's toxic because now we have to remove this, this technology from our national infrastructure because people are vaguely concerned about spying or they're vaguely concerned, what they are concerned about is the Chinese government but they've got absolutely no reason to blame it on Huawei whatsoever. And then we have to look at what the, try and the, the alternatives are, especially. So we, we have this thing that, that Huawei received billions of dollars in, in aid from, from uh, the Chinese government, right? So what are the alternatives? If we, if we say no to Huawei in 2027, what are we going to do? We're going to try and find alternatives. Now, the alternatives are companies that you probably have heard of. Cisco, uh, Qualcomm, they make the chips that are in your mobile phones. Um, and there's, there's companies that, again, like Nokia, they all do 5G infrastructure, but they've all received money from the European Union to, to progress this technology in the same way that Huawei have received the same kind of investment directly from the Chinese government. Why do we think... That the, are we not convinced that the European Union is spying on us? Or, we, or do we not have the same objections to that? And I think you have to think about why that might be. Um, what I do believe, what is actually happening here, is that we are we are very much in the sway of a shift in the balance of power in in geopolitical terms in the world. Beijing is going from strength to strength. It's becoming more important and more relevant on the world stage with every passing year, and America and Western Europe continues to stagnate, decline. It's caught up in endless equivocation and, and social disputes about the smallest possible things and I think what we're seeing is what people have, have heralded for a long time which is the rise of China as a true global economic superpower and it's akin to America's rise before the war. People tend to think of America as being a hugely militaristic uh, society but before the first world war that wasn't quite true. America enjoyed a period of time where it's it was his economic engine that was that was growing and and that was funding its its golden era and that would fund its eventual victory in both world wars because it had simply had huge economic capability to produce the sorts of um, resources that were needed to to win both the first and the second world war. But that was not its that was not its start. Its start was understanding its own. A uh, huge amount of resources, its technological innovation and improvements, and obviously it's it's quite significant um, 
engagement with and 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 adoption of capitalistic enterprise so it became a global economic superpower very very quickly it took significantly less time for instance than it did for britain to become a, a global superpower simply because of the technology at its disposal and i think that is what we are seeing it is the same technological revolution that's happening in china now that we're seeing as we ha- we saw with america before the, the the start of the 20th century and then obviously into um, most of the 20th century and, and 21st century but we are coming to the end of that age now the problem is the last time there were two superpowers we went through decades of suspicion and paranoia and, and almost self-destruction thankfully at least so far china's inclinations are not militaristic they're not they're, they're, they're not interested in colonization except for <laughs> hong kong which is a whole separate topic but it it is far less of a aggressive output in terms of, of taking over territory whereas russia was rolling through Eastern Europe and, and on, on very much on, on the Western nation's doorstep, China is a little bit different in that respect, but but there will still need to be discussions about how China acts in its immediate vicinity and, and its right to the, the lives of people in Taiwan and places like that, for instance. But I do believe there's very little that the Western world can do about this. And what instead what we're seeing is the kind of thrashing out, very much a kind of retaliatory approach to okay, well, what can we strike them down with? You know, what, what have we got left to us? And, and denying them their, their technology and our 5G networks is the, the most spiteful thing that we can think of to do because we don't trust them, which is absurd. It's not, it should, this shouldn't be about trust. This should be about what technology is the most um, readily available and what can be used to improve the lives of people in this country. And 5G very much will do that because it will make inter- the internet far cheaper and it will make it more readily available. And that is only going to improve the lives of people where, in an age where if, if the lockdown over the last six months has taught us nothing else, so that we are reliant in a, in a way on the internet that we, we perhaps didn't anticipate or that not everyone anticipated. So the innovation and, and potential of, um, or, the, or the potential for innovation, I should say, for, from 5G is huge. And we should not be spitting or biting at the hands that are feeding and making up some absurd, quasi-racist, ignorant, and, and baseless assertions that Huawei is somehow the, the puppet of the Chinese government when if the evidence is that it receives money from, from China then why are we not levelling the same sort of criticism at companies like Nokia um, it, it, it's absurd and China China's government structure is different to ours but again I'm not willing to engage in, in this kind of cultural objective approach where we we are so convinced that our system is better and that they're these human rights abusers and that we've got no you know we we couldn't possibly do deals or or work with these people because we're in western countries again it's the hypocrisy of it all it's the same problem it's it's this baseless moral superiority that we we point to and yet we do nothing to actually address the problems that we have in this country with with our own moral history and our own failure to ensure the rights of the people in this country and the people in the countries for which we are responsible or deem ourselves to be responsible. And yet we have the temerity to tell China what they can and can't do and that they're somehow the ones that are doing all the spying and all the all the, all the um, nefarious deeds. It, it really does ring very hollow and I think it should do with people who are listening and paying attention to this story. So that's where we're at at the moment. It, <laughs> 
the, the the UK government has said by 2027 they'll have to remove Huawei technology from the infrastructure. We'll, we'll, we will see what the world looks like in seven years because quite what that prevents. I mean, it, it, this this should really typify why this whole um, farce is, is so stupid. They're going to let them use the infrastructure now. They're going to let them build it into um, this new network that they're creating. And then they're going to ask them to, to remove all of that technology by seven years. Or in seven years, you won't be able to buy Huawei technology, however this shakes out. So uh, I, I'm left confused. Are they spying or not? Because if they are, you can't possibly put this stuff in the ground now or, or build these towers and masts and all the rest of it, surely. Or if this is just you playing you know, playing politics on the world stage but doing so from a very stupid um, perspective, then yeah, sure, you might make a ban in seven years for no reason. And Huawei's stock price already took a hit as a result. And it's, it's needless. It's absolutely needless. And it, it helps nobody. All it does is drive a wedge between Western countries and China, which... We all know Donald Trump has been trying his hardest to, to do, but I, it's not a country that I, that I have any stake in. Whereas in the UK, I'm disappointed to see this kind of anti-internationalism um, and, as I say, prejudice that I, be, I believe, I fundamentally believe, is nothing. It's based on nothing other than a suspicion of, of people from other countries, which sadly has come to typify uh, the approach of this of this country and its government for, for as long as I can remember now. But that's where we're up to with with five G. So. We'll pay attention to it. Be interested to see what Beijing's response to um, the UK's declaration is uh, today. I'm sure we'll see that in the coming weeks. Um, but for now, that's where we're at. So what else has been going on? We had a Google Stadia Connect, as they call them, their little uh, events that they do periodically to talk about all the games and all the fun things that are coming to Google's cloud-based game streaming service um that was launched last year has it only been that's only been that long um the the connects as they call them are their kind of periodic uh they're usually i swear they're usually live streams or they're usually like these little events that they run like on that obviously online um and they've never done anything in person um but that's where they're usually done live this was just an 18 minute long video that they dropped on youtube and just said there you go you can watch that it was very strange because like you think the one thing that everyone can be doing at the moment is sitting in front of a webcam and, and doing a live stream, but anyhow. So they didn't do that. Uh, instead, they, they just put this 18-long video up about all of the things that are coming to uh, Stadia um, in the next year. Um, it's sort of The timeframes weren't too specific, but, it, but I think they, they tend to be, from, from what they've done in the past, apart from the actual launch, because when they launched, they said they have all these amazing features and it's been, you know, X number of months and, and there's no sign of half of them but but when they do these connects it tends to be a bit more like this stuff will actually come in the not too distant future but I don't think any of the stuff they talked about was available um, there and then um, apart from uh, one game which I will admit was a big reason why I bought Stadia in the first place but we'll get to that um, a couple of couple of fun things in there it is, it's, it's with, with Stadia if you're not familiar so Google sell um, this, this as a subscription service essentially it's games as a service um, so you pay a, a monthly fee, and you get you get access to a few free games, um, but crucially you get you get a access to the actual service itself, um, which allows you to stream games through a web browser or there is an app for, for Android devices, so from your phone, your laptop, and and the the key sticking point, something that I've been talking about for a long time, is that you don't need you know five hundred pound or four hundred pound console or 
you know, a £500, £600, whatever PC to run these games, I think the way that Stadia runs them, you would be talking about a £600 plus PC as well, even though I know a lot of the cheaper PCs these days are um, very capable. But, but instead you pay £10 a month or whatever it is, um, and you get a couple of free games to play a month, and then you can just buy um, the others from their, from their library. The, the library, admittedly, was, was quite limited for a long time. It is getting better. The, there are more and more options now. Um, there's some really interesting little small games. I'm not someone who plays a lot of, of little games or, or kind of indie games n- normally, but I've been really interested in a few of the ones that have launched on Stadia. So this was really more, more of that. Um, which is great because I think first and foremost a lot of the because if you again if you've not been following there's quite a lot of antipathy or a lot of a lot of um, mockery um, about um, stadia uh, generally because it because it launched to not much fanfare and because it seemed to provide mixed messages in terms of what sort of state the service was actually going to launch in and and what we could come to expect from from the service it kind of built itself as almost the netflix of video games or on the one hand they didn't you know that people inferred that that's what this might be and google didn't do i think enough in the in the beginning to to dissuade people of that idea and that has ultimately led to um, it, it kind of stalling a little bit after it launched the big problem being that the the fee if you like that you pay a month only gives you access to a handful of, of free games a month and some kind of persistent free games that, that are on there things like destiny 2 which is, is free on any platform that the idea was that that 10 pounds a month would be more like your netflix payment which would gives you obviously the the full library of game of, of films to watch tv shows to watch without any further purchases and instead we are at the stadia store where you have to purchase games on top of the monthly fee that you pay which i don't think if they'd been clear about that from the start i think people would have been okay with that i think the fact that they let it kind of let the idea grow that it was perhaps a better deal than it than it appeared kind of set people's expectations a little too high and, and ultimately they, they were dashed when when the specifics were, were released which is unfortunate but hey here we are so they have been slowly turning it around. I think I think that the the feature drops and the games that they brought to the platform have slowly started to improve the 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 service in a way that makes it a much more um, attractive offer. The a big part of it is there is a free tier version of Stadia, so you can not pay anything, not pay any monthly fee, not get access to any games in theory apart from those I say those those ones that are free for for anyone in any case to play, and and you don't have to put any money down if you do things that way. That wasn't available until quite a long time after the launch, and I think that would have been probably a really effective way of getting a lot of people on board very quickly if that had been ready to go. But instead, they put it through this kind of paid beta. I think they they made it more to try and they put like the founders badge on it and tried to say look, your early adopters, uh, the people that were very keen on the service, you know, they charged them um, 130 odd pounds or whatever it was for the the kit because you you do need some equipment. Obviously, you need a game controller. There is a Stadia-specific controller, but in theory, an Xbox or PlayStation controller would work. Uh, Chromecast Ultra. Now, this seems to be a little bit of a trick almost from from Google because I think they realised that the service when it launched probably wasn't ready for wired or sorry for wireless connections. So, giving everyone a Chromecast Ultra as part of the bundle, which does have a, a port for an Ethernet connector to then connect to your TV, probably ensured that a lot more people had a much better experience with it early on because they were using a wired connection. Um, than it would have been if they just told everyone, oh yeah, just use Wi-Fi, you know, you'll be fine. Because as I say, when it first launched, it wasn't the experience wasn't um, quite perfect as you would expect. But I do believe that Google perhaps should have 
thought that through and instead launched it free, taking the hit of not getting that early early um, sort of uh, money from, from people through the door and just generated so much excitement. Even if they'd done an invite-only beta, that, that may have also given it a bit of a bit more credibility. It might have come across a little bit more interesting to people, but instead it was just expensive to take part in what was a glorified beta for the first few months. That probably put a lot of people off and a lot of people who already have plenty of reasons to, to be suspicious or, or to despise Google um, just, gave, just gave them another reason to, to complain. So very much a, a bit of a flop at launch, but it has been turning it around since then. Uh, with, with, as I say, these, these connects which have, have highlighted games that, that have since come to the platform or things that are on the way and features that, that are on the way. So this was the latest in, in, uh, in this series. It, and as I said earlier, it wasn't, it wasn't a kind of a, a blockbuster connect. There wasn't a huge amount in there that was truly explosive, which is interesting because we're kind of in, in E3 territory now or we're in, we're in this kind of summer of announcements where we're getting new information about new consoles and new games and new ways of playing and Stadia probably should have made a, a bigger splash this summer in all of the absence because obviously everyone's just waiting for PlayStation Xbox, everyone's just waiting for more information on the new consoles whereas Stadia was in a position probably to push itself a bit more and say well in the meantime have you considered playing on a streaming only uh, games as a service? Um, but they didn't. So instead they've gone down this route of kind of slowly but surely building up um, to its overall Potential, I think, is kind of where it's going. So, what do we get? We got uh, there's going to be a Stadia Bomberman, and it's Bomberman meets Battle Royale, as far as I can tell, which I think is quite interesting. I don't know if Bomberman already does this. I don't, I've not played a Bomberman game for about ten years, um, but the the idea, this crowdplay idea, seems to be that you would have because Bomberman, if you, it's very simple. The formula hasn't really changed in the decades it's been around. You are a man. You have bombs, and you have to try and catch out your opponents either by using the environment against them or if you can actually just you know just bomb them outright if you can um things like that and it's it's interesting because this crowd play thing sets you have your board that uses a kind of top-down isometric view of the, the board where you can see all the people moving around planting their bombs just like bomber man's been forever but you know hd and 3d and all that stuff but around the outside you have all of the other people playing at once in this huge sort of what they, what they call crowd play where everyone's um, playing together and then I think if you get eliminated from those boards you're out of the game completely but if you if you win you play against the other winners of the other boards and it kind of slowly builds up and builds up to you till you're kind of down to the final circle if you like in if you want to put it in battle royale terms which is I think is a cool idea and I think it will be a lot of fun and I certainly uh, if it's the sort of thing that seems to be would be a really fun thing to stream if, if, if you're a big you know famous streamer you could get all you've all you um, subscribers involved and have a big battle royale of Bomberman because it's fun and it it's not like Warzone or Fortnite where you you know there's going to be people who are incredible at it it just it's a lot more forgiving it's a lot more accessible for people um, and it could be a really really fun thing to watch I think if you just enjoy the drama especially if you know people who are playing or if you know you could get all your friends involved in a big tournament and it could just be a good laugh so it's like a nice casual approach to, to battle royale so I thought that was quite a nice idea and obviously it's the fact that it's all done through browsers and, and computers makes it so much easier to, for everyone to get involved in because you can just put a link up and say, look, this is the this is the game that we're playing and here's the stream of it. And you click the link and then you're involved in the session. The the screenshot that Google have shared obviously has someone streaming the, the um, game of Bomberman, but it has like a join and play banner on it where you can 
it tells you, look, you, you, if you want to join in this ongoing game that you're watching on YouTube, then you can do. And I think that's quite a cool idea, kind of blending the, the streaming world with the with the multiplayer world, which has probably been some time coming, I think. It often feels that streamers are... It's why I'm not super keen on streamers. I just feel very disconnected from it. And I just think, well, it'd be fun to play with them. Or, it, you know, it's a fun community maybe to be involved in, but it'd be nice to actually play games because that's kind of why we're all here. But anyway... So that was a fun idea, and Bomberman is what they're using to show showcase this crowd play idea. But I think it will come to other games eventually. The other, the the big game that I was very excited about that they did announce was available there and then was Orcs Must Die Three, which, if I remember correctly, was one of the original games that that they kind of demonstrated when Stadia was first around. Very fun sort of tower defense game, two player co op. That that's sort of a very simple game in in some ways, but. The idea of it appealed to me because it was a casual game that was that was the right side of involved in in the sense that you, you know, it, it it had challenge and it was fun and it was it was complicated in its own little way. You know, it was probably one of those things easy to get started with, difficult to master sort of thing. Um, two player co op, obviously very easy if everyone's just streaming the game because you can either play it together in the same room or you can, you know, if someone's on their phone and you're on a laptop or whatever the whatever the kind of situation is. I think that it always appealed to me and I was really disappointed actually when it didn't come out for. You know, it wasn't slated for release until the middle of this year because it just seemed like a real shame of what might have been a really fun game to really get my teeth into when when Stadia first came out. But it has come out; it's been out for a few days now, and it is as enjoyable as I was hoping it was going to be. It's reviewed quite well. It's interesting because it is a a, a first-hand published game or first-party published game from Google Stadia Games and Entertainment, their Google's in-house game development studio, and it bodes well because the quality of it is there to see. I don't know. I imagine Google. Um, Stadia Games and Entertainment is staffed by very experienced and, and capable people and so it's probably no surprise that their first game is, is very good but it's just nice to see that level of quality and that level of, of competency brought to bear on a game that I was really looking forward to um, to playing um, and, it, and it very much delivered and then, the, then there were kind of a, um, a slew of, of as I say, strange games really um, Looks like Stadia has partnered with um, a few different studios uh, that that are all r- relatively well known. S- uh, there were some really interesting games that that I, again wouldn't have been the sorts of ones that I would necessarily have kind of looked to 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 play all the time. But but really fun little one called Outcasters, which is appears to be kind of like Bomberman a little bit, except it's it's maybe that's not a great comparison I don't know it seems really unique maybe that's the problem it's, it's a very unique looking game kind of a, a shooter but it's also like a very silly I'm trying to think of a, a good I mean Splatoon kind of comes to mind but but it looks a bit that's a very strange game whereas this looks just fun uh, it's very hard to describe if you get a chance to go and watch the watch the video for Outcasters but again it looks like a fun way of bringing friends together to play a quick and casual game with plenty of humour and, and silliness to boot so yeah it's the sort of game that, that I think people really really enjoy especially when they're playing with their friends um, and there were some others One Hand Clapping which had the weirdest trailer ever because it looked like the trailer wasn't finished I don't know what, what was quite happening there but it was it was funny uh, but it looks really sweet it's, it looks like a game about Becoming confident using your voice, which I think is a curious idea in of itself, but like almost like a it's from Harmonic, so it's you know again the, the people that did the rock band games all those years ago when they were incredibly popular, so they obviously know what they're doing when it comes to music and rhythm games and all that sort of stuff. But yeah, the idea of using your voice to control your character, it seemed to be putting an emphasis on not so much it's not like the quality of your voice. I think it's more about growing 
if you imagine someone who's maybe very quiet, I think this is this this was the impression I got from the video anyway. I could be completely wrong about that, but the very quiet and then just trying to gently encourage them to become louder, a bit more self-assured, a bit more confident um, in using their own voice in the sense that that's the character's journey but also possibly the, the player's journey I think is a really nice idea. It's different, it's interesting and, and hopefully I'm sure it will, will come out um, well when it is when it is released. Then we got some interesting ones. I, I said there were no AAA games, well there was, Hitman 3. I love them, the new Hitman games are so good. They really are, if you've not played them, I think I think you can play the first level at least of the of the first one, Hitman, when they rebooted the franchise a few years ago now, for free, I'm pretty sure, somewhere. Really, really fun. <laughs> very difficult, very realistic in the sense of, of you know, very punishing, very kind of, you, you basically make one mistake and the, and the game's over really, unless you've been very clever or, or get lucky. Um, it is, they are very difficult, they're designed to be, you've got to be very methodical, you've got to be very purposeful and careful about how you're going, but the payoff, the reward for getting it right is, is unlike any game that I've played. So you are rewarded for patience and for planning and there aren't many games where you can say that, like you can't just get bored and like you can with many stealth games, just you know, pull out an M16 and just like absolutely murder everybody. That's not going to work. It's 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 a lot more careful than that, and it's 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 much more fun as a result. So the the Hitman three, I think the Hitman one and two are coming to Stadia. I'll definitely be picking those up because I think that's a great way of doing Hitman. I think it's not it's not a very social game. So a, a you know a system a, a service that allows you to play on your laptop or whatever. Well. Is, is it's not going to be like a war zone or whatever where you have to play with loads of other people but if you wanted some time on your own to play a game that is, that is a bit more for the single player I think Hitman is exactly that and, and the fact that the third the, the third game is coming I think at the beginning of next year if I'm not mistaken to Stadia um, again I'll, I'll almost certainly pick that up because it is a really fun game so there was lots to really enjoy about it there was a lot of kind of good news it, I think those of us who've been with it since it, since it launched have probably come to come to enjoy it um, come to get a lot out of it um, won't be cancelling anytime soon it's it's making steady progress uh, whether or not it's enough to bring I'm sure the mi you know the millions of people that they want to bring to the service anytime soon I don't know it's Google so they're just as likely to completely do away with it as much as they are to, to, to really push forwards with it but it would be a shame because I think the progress they've made in the last few months has I think it's started to excite people a little bit. I you know, I'm on the, the Reddit the, the subreddit for Stadia fairly frequently and it's gone from being quite a quite a sour, quite disappointed place to one where there's a, a burgeoning sense of, of enthusiasm and, and interest and, and overall satisfaction with what Google are trying to do, even if they bungled the, the launch a little bit. Um, so it's it's one to watch and I would I would for anyone who maybe isn't into games and doesn't want to spend loads of money on it but has an Xbox controller lying around or whatever, just give it a go. It costs nothing to sign up. I think you get a month free of the pro subscription anyway, so you can get the, the pro games that are on there. So you'll have plenty of games to, to try, lots of different ones um, to try in your first month. See that, obviously, the, the big thing is your internet connection. It's got to be quick enough. But these days, most people have got a decent internet connection. Just be careful of anything else on your network that might be dragging the speeds down. Um, I know a lot of people have bumped into problems where someone else is, you know, streaming Netflix in the other room, and that's and that's kind of um, taking its toll on the quality of the stream of Stadia. But most people will be fine, uh, and it's worth a go. It is for free, certainly. It's worth a go because it, I think it has the capacity and the potential to bring a lot of people who aren't big into gaming or don't want to certainly don't want to spend hundreds of pounds on a new console or whatever, especially when there's new ones just around the corner. 
just give it a whirl. See what you think of it because it's it's interesting and it's different. And there are, there are some games just like that on the on the service. So it might not be that you know you don't want to play Call of Duty or, or FIFA, but you want to try something different and you want to play it on your laptop rather than on a you know on your main TV or, or on your phone. In fact, if you've got the right the right phone, just just something to consider. But the latest Connect was good, and I believe there's another one coming up in a few months, and it'll be interesting to see where they go next with it. Another positive, another positive event for for Stadia um, in a small but but good way. So that's it for this week. Thanks for tuning in. Um, next week we should have some information more on um, there's an Xbox event uh, halfway through the end of next week so try and fit that in just before Friday and I'm sure there'll be plenty more to, to look at. I think that we're expecting some some big news from the UK government with regards to the, um, the, the ongoing efforts to, to curtail the pandemic uh, and the, the COVID-19 crisis so we'll have more to talk about then. So speak to you next week.